Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Amen. Let me encourage you, friends. I uh, really feel like our nation is in need of prayer. I'm going to believe that. I feel like our community is in need of prayer. I feel like our church is in need of prayer. And uh, just really felt uh, very strongly to call the church to a time of fasting and prayer. And so beginning on Sunday, uh, August 30th, we're going to kick off this season uh, in this week of fasting and prayer. Um, I'm going to ask you to to pray about how the Lord would have you to participate and to join. I know that uh, different folks have different uh, health needs and those kinds of things. If you're able uh, to fast a meal each day, if you're able to take one day, maybe and fast the entire day, maybe you want to fast the entire week or a meal of each day uh, and just take that time that you would normally eat and, and, and go into a time of just really fasting and prayer. We're going to put out a prayer guide. Uh, the church is going to be open, so if you have the opportunity during your lunch hour, you want to stop by. Uh, we're going to open the, the church during the week, Monday through Friday, from 11 to 1. That the sanctuary will be open, there'll be music playing, and you can walk around and pray if you want, or find a place to pray, or sit in a pew and pray uh, if you would like to do that. And, uh, and then in the evening time as well, from 7 to 8, uh, including that Saturday, September 15th, we'll have the church open in the evening on that day as well. So again, calling the church to a time of fasting and prayer. Just really feel like we need to do that. Amen. Amen. Today, we continue our series that we're in on the Beatitudes, and uh, last week, uh, we talked about that. The Beatitudes uh, are something that kicks off what is uh, formerly known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We see that in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, Jesus has taken a break from a season in ministry of healing to gather his disciples around him to get on and, and sat on the side of a mountain, and he began to teach them. And before he got into teaching them what they ought to do as kingdom people, as people who were part of the kingdom of God, what we do, he talked them first about what they ought to be. The Beatitudes are more about being and less about doing. The Beatitudes have to do with issues in the heart, and as the issues on the inside and the heart change, then outwardly we begin to do, but we do from a position of being. And uh, so last week we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, this was a promise for right now. And we talked about being poor in spirit is not being economically poor or physically poor, but it's about recognizing our spiritual poverty before God. And we used the example of Isaiah. For instance, Isaiah, when he found himself in a vision where he stood before the throne of God and the magnitude of God, a train of his filled the temple, Isaiah said, woe is me, woe is me. Here's Isaiah, a prophet. Isaiah, somebody that was close to the Lord, and yet when he came in contact with a holy God and the magnitude of who God was, all of a sudden he saw himself poor in spirit, poverty in spirit, woe is me. And so we know that's the position that we have to start with. The position that we begin in our relationship with God is when we begin to recognize our need for the Lord. 
our need for him. And in humility, we come before him. And uh, so before we get into the, this list of Beatitudes, I want to talk about how this one links to the next one by contrasting two mountains. In the Old Testament, when God had delivered his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt, he then led them in the wilderness and brought them to a mountain, Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, God began to appear to them. And as he did, his face was not seen, uh, but yet uh, the people were kept at a distance. Darkness descended, fire and smoke covered the mountains. I mean, it was, the trumpets were blasting. Deuteronomy 4, 11 and 12 is where you find that. The whole scene was so terrifying that even Moses, according to Hebrews 12, 21, said, I am trembling with fear. Now, how many know if Moses trembled in fear, what would we be like? So this was a, this was a, a time of just Oh man, utter just the power of God, the holiness of God, fire and smoke and wow, people kept at a distance. But here in the Beatitudes, we see something different. We see the scene is different. God has come among us in the person of Jesus Christ. He, he, we see his face and he bids us to come to him. At Mount Sinai, God comes down from the mountain in a terrifying splendor described in Exodus 20, 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, heard the trumpet, saw the mountain and smoke, it says they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Speak to us or we will die. And they, they didn't want God to speak to them. They kept at a distance. But differently, contrast to that, Jesus, the Son of God, goes up on the mountain, and he invites his disciples to come. That's the position where we find ourselves. At Sinai, God spoke in thundering words that, that uh, the people begged no further word. In other words, on, on Sinai, uh, we, we see that thundering. But here, the Son of God in the Beatitudes does not speak thundering words of condemnation, but rather wonderful words of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. And on and on and blessed. There's a difference here. We, we've seen that Christ begins with this astonishing statement. And last week we saw how believers have to begin at that place of spiritual poverty before the Lord. They took Jesus for what they said, hey, you know what, I don't have, but in everything, that's what you have. You have in everything, everything that I need. Aren't you glad that we begin with the, the first beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit and not blessed are the pure in heart? I'm glad we don't start there. <laughs> in fact, when Christ comes near, we can thank God that that's the starting point. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this, a ladder, if it is to be of any use, must have its first step near the ground. And that's where we find ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit is the ladder rung near the ground. It says, I come before God and I recognize my need of him. I recognize my need of him. You see, the law in the Old Testament will bring us to a place called the poor in spirit where we recognize I have nothing for which to offer you. Nothing to offer you. But today we move to the second beatitude, which is the second rung of the ladder, so to speak. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, what does Jesus mean by mourning? Blessed are those who mourn. What does he mean by mourn? Well, I want to talk about three types of mourning for us to be able to see the difference and to be able to kind of 
get into what Jesus is talking about with blessed are those who mourn. The first is natural mourning, natural mourning. And natural mourning is to grieve over something that God has given and then taken away. Natural mourning. For instance, we see that when we have a loved one, somebody that we love that's a part of our family, that's a part of our circle, a friend, and then they pass away. God had given them to us and allowed them to be in our lives, but then we experience that loss and that mourning and that grieving, and as we grieve, there's a natural mourning that comes. We see that with Jesus when Lazarus had passed away and he had gone to the tomb and he saw the grief of of Mary and Martha, Jesus himself began to weep. There's a natural mourning that comes as we begin to grieve, and there's a comfort that comes from Jesus in a journey of bereavement that is a treasured gift of God. But friends, that's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here. Why do I say that? Because he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about qualities that we ought to proactively pursue, In other words, conditions of the heart that are so loaded with blessing that that we want to get as much of them in our lives as we possibly can. For instance, I want as much of a hungering and thirst for the Lord as possible. I want to pursue that. For instance, I want to be pure in heart. I want to pursue that. I want to pursue a life of mercy. There's things that we ought to pursue, but how many of you know that even in the midst of grieving when you experience the comfort of the Lord, I don't think the Lord wants us to experience or to pursue a life where we're constantly grieving over things that he has given and then taken away. That's not the kind of mourning that he's talking about, that although we find ourselves at times in the valley of bereavement, we can find the comfort of God, and that's a truth that is found in Scripture, but that's not where Jesus is going here. Secondly, there is a sinful mourning. A sinful mourning, what do I mean by a sinful mourning? Well, a sinful mourning is a pining after something that God never intended to give you. Something that God never wanted to give you, but you find yourself pining after that. You find yourself desiring that and wanting that. That's sinful mourning. It's a contrast to natural mourning, which is something that God has given and then takes away. This kind of mourning, a sinful mourning, is grieving others over something that God never intended for you to have. Now you say, well, how, how do we illustrate that? Well, in the Old Testament, there's a story about wicked King Ahab, who was the king over Israel in the north. You might remember that he had his wife, Jezebel, and Ahab was a wicked king. And Ahab one day was walking around, and he saw this vineyard that was owned by somebody else in his kingdom that he said, man, I just have to have that vineyard. And so he went to this guy, Naboth, and he said, Naboth, I want your vineyard. Give me your vineyard, I'll pay you top dollar for it, I'll pay you what it's worth, I'll swap vineyards with you, but give me that vineyard. The problem was is that Naboth had given, had this, this vineyard and this piece of property, which was really important in the Old Testament, had been something that had been given as an allotment to his, his, his ancestors, and they had passed it down. And he said, there is no amount of money that is worth that for me, so no, you can't have it. Well, let's take a look at what happened. 2 Kings 21, 4, Ahab's response to Naboth's no is this. Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so this is what Ahab did. He laid on his bed sulking and refused to eat. He was pouting in the palace. Why was he pouting? He was mourning and pouting because he wanted something that was never for him to have. 
That is sinful mourning. When we want something that God never intended for us to have, and instead we get all angry and sullen and upset at God. God, why didn't you give me that? God, I wanted that. God, how come that's not a blessing for me? That's sinful mourning. That is the opposite of the kind of mourning that is here that the Lord is talking about in this particular area. Not natural mourning, not sinful mourning, but number three, spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning. What is spiritual mourning? Spiritual mourning is sorrow over our sins against God. It's the kind of sorrow that the Lord says, Jesus Christ says, this is what you find blessing in. There's where you find blessing. Spiritual mourning is a godly sorrow that produces repentance. We're going to talk about what that means. And is blessed because it leads to life. English Bible teacher A.W. Pink wrote this, the mourning for which Christ promises divine comfort is a sorrowing over our sins with a godly sorrow. In fact, Paul talked about this godly sorrow in in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He said this about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see, this is the kind of sorrow that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who mourn. It's a spiritual mourning. It's a godly mourning over our sinful condition, over the sins that we have as we've sinned against God, and it includes repentance that leads to salvation and life. Now, if you've fallen asleep on me, I want you to pay attention because this is really, really important, all right? The church today... The church today is really surrounded by a form of faith that is not biblical Christianity. For, for more than half a century now, I think that we have reduced down this idea of faith to, to something in where I agree or I accept certain truths about faith, but I have not accompanied it with a spiritual mourning or repentance over my sin. So therefore, my salvation is simply a mental assent to say, I agree that I'm a sinner. I agree that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I agree that he rose again. And I agree with that. And so I'll come to church and I'll say, I agree with that. And I'll read my Bible. But never... Never do we experience a transformation in our heart because oftentimes we lack a grieving and a mourning and a repentance over our sinful condition. Do you see the difference that's here? It's a form of faith that essentially leaves a person unchanged. Unchanged and not worthy to bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, true Christianity is more than just agreeing with certain beliefs and admitting that I'm a sinner and asking for forgiveness. It involves repentance. It involves what the Bible talks about as a change of direction. Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 55. I love Isaiah. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, look at this, forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon There are two things that we see in this passage that have to do with what happens when we have a godly sorrow and a spiritual mourning and repentance. What we see here is a forsaking. Step one is to forsake. 
forsake my sin. When I receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord, it's not just that I believe on or I accept a set of beliefs or a set of principles of faith that I agree to. It comes down to the fact that I recognize that I have sinned against God and that I have to repent. And when I repent, it means that I forsake the, the way of sin. I forsake that way of sin. It, that, that's a, a part of what this is. That means leave it, abandon it, be done with it. There's more than just admitting you're a sinner. You can admit you're a sinner and not change, not be changed or have the behavior of your life changed to where you want to forsake your sin and that stops short of what Christianity is all about. In the New Testament, we see that Paul says this, God's firm foundation stands and bears this seal. The Lord knows who are his. Look at this. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So there's a departing from iniquity. To to mourn over our sin, to repent over our sin, the blessing of comfort comes through the repentance that brings about a forsaking of sin, a departing of iniquity, and then number two, a returning to the Lord. It's a coming and a returning to the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to depart from iniquity. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They belong inseparably together. God says repent, and as they repent, they believe, and as they believe, they repent. It happens. Faith is a bond of a living union with Jesus, and for this reason, it's a wellspring of repentance towards him. Alan Redpath, a a seasoned preacher, once said this, God has not uh, promised to forgive one sin that you are not willing to forsake. Ouch. Ouch. See, we have been surrounded by a form of faith that is to accommodate a continued indulgence, and the result is a growing number of people that admit that they are sinners and accept Jesus without ever experiencing a transformed new life. It falls short of what we see in the gospel. So in other words, you can't stay on the same first rung of, oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, I have spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty ought to lead us to spiritual mourning and repentance. It is taking the next step. So you can't get to the spiritual mourning if there's pride. And if you say, I don't need God, and I don't have sin, and I don't need that, then there's no repentance. But when you find yourself in that place where you say, I need the Lord, I have spiritual poverty, the next step is not to stay there, but to begin to repent over your sin and to mourn over sin and allow the Lord to begin to bring a transformation that forsakes iniquity and returns to the Lord. That's the place of blessing. But when we don't do that, we live away from him. Second, what I want to do the remainder of our time, I want to talk about some distinguishing marks of spiritual mourning. So how do we get there? What are distinguishing marks of spiritual mourning? Number one, spiritual mourning arises from humility. Again, I said that you can't get to spiritual mourning until you find yourself in the place where you say, I, I admit, man, I, I, I'm away from the Lord. I, I admit I have spiritual poverty. See, that's where we found Isaiah last week. Isaiah found himself saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. But listen to this. He said, I live among a people of unclean lips. It wasn't just individually, but it was corporately that Isaiah found himself going, I don't measure up. And what was the answer? 
he looked to the Lord who took the coal, came and touched his lips. You see, spiritual mourning begins by recognizing our need of the Lord so that we begin to hate what we used to love and love what we used to hate. Did you get that? You see, there's a thing. Sin wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't attractive. (laughs) It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't attractive. So we need the Lord to begin to put in us a hate for the things that we used to love and give us a love for the things that we used to hate. Spurgeon is clear and helpful in pastoral counsel here. As he says this, the first advice that I give you is this, particularize your sin. Do not say I'm a sinner, that means nothing. Everybody says that, but ask, am I a liar? Am I a thief? Am I a drunkard? Have I unchaste thoughts? Have I committed unclean acts? Have I in my soul often rebelled against God? Am I angry often without cause? Have I a bad temper? Am I covetous? Do I love the word, the world, excuse me, do I love this world better than I love the world to come? Ooh, that's a good question, isn't it? Do I neglect prayer? If you put these, he says this, if you put these questions upon separate points, you will soon convict yourself much more readily than by taking yourself in the gross, that is in general, as being a sinner. It's one thing to say I'm a sinner. It's another thing to say, God, show me in my life where I am a sinner. That's hard. That's not easy for us to accept. That's not easy for us to get to. So the best way to do that is to begin to open up God's word. And as you read God's word, you begin to ask questions that you find in God's word. You begin to say, God, use the flashlight of your word to shine into the dark areas of my heart. As you begin to read, you say, oh God, show me the areas of sin in my life. And then you begin to repent and mourn over those areas in your life. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a great place to start. It says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. In here, there are six specific questions you can ask yourself when you read this. You can say, where have I been rude? Where have I been impatient? Where, where, where have I boasted? As you begin to ask these questions, envy and boasting and pride and rudeness and unkindness and impatience, you can begin to shine a light and say, Lord, shine a light into my heart that I might repent and get right with you. David provides a great example, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Lord to use his word to shine a light in your heart. And if you say, well, I'm struggling with that, then find a trusted, mature believer that you can ask or that you can trust and say, when you see something where I'm out of line in God's word, will will you show me, will you... Will you, will you point it out to me so that we can, we can take James's command in James chapter 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Secondly, spiritual mourning is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a heartfelt sorrow. We see an example of a non-heartfelt sorrow in the Old Testament with King Saul. 
Uh, If you remember the story of King Saul, King Saul started out anointed by God, started out going in the right direction, but in one particular battle, God gave him a command and and told him, don't take any of the plunder for yourself, but King Saul did. He took the the plunder, he cheated, he he deceived, he stole, then he tried to lie to cover it up, and when he found out that a sin was exposed, this is what he confessed, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Starting in verse 18, he says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? He says, I've sinned, I've transgressed the, I've transgressed the, uh, against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. Now that sounds really good, but friends, the repentance was not from his heart. And we see it later on being exposed in something else that he said to Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, 15, 30. He said this, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders and my people before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So although Saul admitted that he sinned in his heart, there was not a heartfelt sorrow. Instead, there was a desire for him to kind of cover up a little bit. There was a desire for for him to kind of focus on damage control. He didn't want his reputation to be marred. So Samuel, I sinned against the Lord but I want you to come back with me and help me do damage control so that the people don't see how bad it really is. Friends, how many know that is not heartfelt sorrow? Sometimes there is too much damage control. Heartfelt sorrow is a single, a signature mark of spiritual mourning. And for Saul, one sin led to another until he found himself away from God. We need spiritual mourning, friends. We need a a, a godly sorrow that produces repentance and leads to salvation. And that's what godly sorrow does. It it leads to life. Spiritual mourning can be the very key to unlocking uh, and bringing freedom from habitual sins. That's those things that we fall into over and over and over again. A true Christian doesn't live a life of, of simply saying, oh, I sinned. I'm sorry, Lord. Whoops, I did it again. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. Whoops, I went out and did it again. Well, I came to church and I said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And then I did it again. Oh, last night before I came to church, I... You know, I, I did these things. I probably shouldn't have done this. I probably shouldn't have looked at what I looked, like, looked at. I probably shouldn't have gone what I, what I went to. I probably shouldn't have had the attitude that I did. But I'll come to church and I'll say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And then I'll go out on Monday and I'll do it all over again. You know what that is? That's presumption. God's kindness is meant to lead us to, pre, to, to repentance, not to presumption. To presume upon God's grace is to be a person who is content to sin and assume forgiveness and does not mourn and does not change. Friends, this is not walking the path of repentance. This is walking the path of presumption. And there are too many Christians who are walking a path of presumption and not a path of repentance. And as a result of that, you're not walking under the blessing of the Lord. Alexander McLaren said that if you've never been down on your knees before feeling what a wicked man or woman you are, I doubt hugely whether you will ever stand with radiant face before God and praise Him through eternity for His mercy to you. Thirdly, spiritual mourning is infused with hope. What do I mean by that? Because we're on dangerous ground. If you come before the Lord and you recognize your spiritual poverty and you recognize your sin, guilt and resentment and guilt and shame and these kinds of things can begin to overwhelm you to a place of despair. And we see that with Judas. 
We see a place of despair with one of the disciples, Judas, who had followed Jesus but then betrayed him and, uh, and had taken money to betray him. And we see that, that the Bible talks about this, this uh, grieving that Judas did over what he had done. Matthew 27, 3 says he changed his mind. And in sincerity was evident in returning the money that he did to the chief priest and, uh, as far as his act of betrayal. But his sins were so full of bitter regret that they, lived, they led him to a place of despair. He was so grieved that he couldn't see Christ's forgiveness, but only found himself in despair and ended up killing himself. He was without hope. The grief and regret and despair of Judas was not spiritual mourning. It was another effect of him being consumed by the devil who had already filled his heart. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to a place of despair. The Holy Spirit leads us to a place of hope. Even in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit leads to a repentance and a mourning that is infused with hope as it gets our eyes from our sin and on to the cross, on to the hope of the cross. That's why there are always two sides of the coin. Spiritual mourning, a believer is sorrowful yet rejoicing according to 2 Corinthians 6.10. Sorrowful because of, the, because of the offense and the effect of our sins yet rejoicing in what we see in Christ. That's the hope that we have. Paul gives two great examples of grieving with hope. 1 Timothy 1.15, he starts out, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and look what he says, whom I am the worst. Whom I'm the worst. This is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, who planted churches. He says, this, 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 is, what, this is what trustworthy deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm the worst of sinners. But look at the next verse, verse 16. But, I love this, sometimes you just love the but in Scripture, right? But for that very reason, I was showing mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you see it's infused with hope? Yes, there is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. I am the worst of sinners. There is a repentance and a spiritual mourning, but it is infused with hope as he says, oh, but the hope is in what Jesus Christ has done for me, not in what I do, not in my self-righteousness, but in Jesus Christ. Come on. We see it in Romans chapter 7. Paul says in verse 24, oh, what a wretched man I am. And in verse 25, he says, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. That's what it is. Oh, what a wretched man. But thanks be to God. When you enter into spiritual mourning, make sure that while you have your eyes, one eye fixed on sin, your other eye is fixed on the cross. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the cross. The grace and the mercy and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us and to save us from our sin. Andrew Bonner a godly Scottish preacher, he kept an extraordinary journal diary, and, uh, and, and he, he, of his own spiritual life, oftentimes he struggled to hate, he struggled, he said, why don't I hate sin more? Why don't I hate sin more? He struggled with some things, and in, in, in trying to overcome these things, in one entry in his diary dated May 7th, 1829, this is what he wrote, it has been much impressed upon me that if convinced of sin at all, I must be so by view of it in Christ's love. In Christ's love. Naming and confessing sins will lead us into spiritual mourning, but knowing the love of Christ is going to take us deeper and further. 
That was Bonner's experience. People would turn from their sin and they'd be showing the love of Christ. That's the difference. Pastor Colin Smith from Unlocking the Bible once wrote this, there is more in looking at the cross than seeing what sin did to Jesus. The cross is about what Jesus did for you. In fact, I think Jesus said it well. He said, whoever's been forgiven much loves much. Why? Because until we begin to recognize the depth of our sin and the depth of how much we're away from the Lord as we repent and grieve and mourn over that, then we experience the light and the love and the hope of the gospel. And as we do, we recognize just how deep and how far and how wide and how broad the love of God goes. And as we experience that, we can't help but walk in joy and in peace and in patience and in kindness and in gentleness. We, we can't help but live out the love of God. There are too many believers that are without joy. Could it be that you've forgotten how far you've fallen and how much Christ has saved you? Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. In fact, it's to Jesus, the man of sorrows, that we must turn. Going back to Isaiah again, he announced a redeemer would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 3. Centuries before Christ had even come, this is what he announced. Christ knows about spiritual mourning. Not because Christ mourned over his own sin, but because Christ would mourn over the effects of sin on the world and the very people that he loved and he came to save. That's what Jesus Christ mourned about. That's why Jesus Christ came. When he looked over Jerusalem and standing on the Mount of Olives, he began to weep over Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, because they didn't know the coming judgment and destruction that was coming. But writing years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah spoke of what a redeemer would do when he came. And this is what he said his mission would be, Isaiah 61, 2 and 3, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That's what Jesus has come to exchange for us. Oh, come on. Nobody's getting excited. I don't know about you. That's exciting. Isaiah went on in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, friends, the Holy Spirit comforts a portion who mourns making Christ purchase yours and mine. There's a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul lists a catalog of sins. He, he goes on to say, some of you were drunkards and revelers and swindlers and idolaters and adulterers, idolaters and adulterers, but he doesn't stop. There's another precious but in Scripture. And what were some of you, he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Well, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, Right? but were some of you I was all of this but but this was all some were you this is where you were but by the grace of God in Christ the spiritual mourner can say I'm forgiven I'm cleansed I'm washed I'm justified I may not be the person I want to be but I'm not the person I used to be right There's sanctification that has begun in me. So given the human condition, I want to bring it to a close this morning. Jesus promises to comfort those who mourn in sin, and that can be counterintuitive to the spirit of our age. That is counterintuitive. That is countercultural to where we live today. 
You see, we live in a day where sin is not grieved, even among those who are Christians. In fact, it's not deplored, it's not even merely tolerated. Oftentimes, sin is celebrated. In our world today, our world mourns those who mourn sin uh, instead of mourning sin. And you know what? We can succumb to those those tendencies ourselves. No doubt one fails to, uh, excuse me, no doubt one reason we fail to mourn sin is because we underestimate it. We assume it's little more than a cosmic parking ticket. But sin is not trivial, friends. It's treason. It's insurrection. It's against heaven's throne. In fact, one quote that I read said this, we have never committed a small sin because we have never offended a small God. We have never committed a small sin because we've never offended a small God. To the degree in which we mourn our sin both individually and collectively is the fact that we avail ourselves to heaven's comfort. To the degree that we don't, we rob ourselves of it. There are some of us that have not experienced the blessing of the comfort of the Lord because we've not mourned over our sin. We don't know what it is to mourn over our sin and whether individually or collectively for the society that we live in that is so far away from God, it is time for the church to come back to repentance. It is time for God's people to repent again. It is time for God's people to say, you know what, I want my faith to be more than just what I say I believe or I agree with. I want my faith to be where I say, God, search my heart. Holy Spirit, search my heart. If there is any wicked way in me, bring it to my mind that I might grieve and repent over it and forsake it and return back to the Lord my God that I might return to you O God forgive me O God forgive me O God a sinner a wretch forgive me O God I don't deserve your mercy I don't deserve your grace I deserve your judgment oh but the hope of the cross how do we experience the comfort Here's the problem, it's kind of like this. The 4th of July was a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago. Imagine receiving a text from a family member or a friend that said, hey, meet me for fireworks at 11 a.m. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, 11 a.m., don't we want to do that when it's dark? We want to do that when it's dark, why? Why do you want to do it when it's dark? Because fireworks are not as impressive in the noonday. The darker the sky, the more stunning the display. In fact, in the same way, the brilliance of grace must be set against the darkness and the blackness of sin. And unless we see the grace of God against the blackness of sin, we will never spiritually mourn and we will never experience the comfort that God wants to truly bring and the blessing that comes from that. And unfortunately, we have moved away from that. And it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to come back to the Lord who wants to offer us a comfort that is there. Why do we continue to live in the depths of our sin? Why do we do the same things over and over again? Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. That's not repentance. That's presumption. And may it not be that we live in presumption, but may it be that our coming to the Lord for salvation is because we recognize the deep need of because of our sin. And we grieve over our sin. If you're not grieved over your sin, then something is wrong in your spiritual life. It's time for us to come to repentance. It's time to experience repentance and to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the depths of our sinfulness today. 
Hallelujah. So what I'm going to ask right now, the, the worship team is going to play. And if you feel like you need to repent or come to the Lord, I know what time it is. If at home, you might need to bow down right where you're at. Wherever you're at, you might need to bow down. But right now, if you want it, you say, I need to repent. I need to mourn my sin. I want to invite you to come fill these altars today or kneel down at your seat if you're more comfortable doing that. But today, we need to begin to call on the name of the Lord. Today, we need to repent and we need to say, oh God, change us. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive our nation, oh God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us as a church that sinned against you. Forgive us, oh Lord. Come back to repentance today. If you don't know Christ, you need to throw yourself down and say, oh Lord, I need you. I need your salvation. I need your forgiveness. I want to repent today of my sin and come back to you. Friends, let's do that today. Lord, we just ask that you would just forgive us today. Show us, God, areas in our life where we have sinned against you, areas of our life where we are not pleasing to you. God, we have sinned against you, and we need your forgiveness, and we need your grace. We need your grace, oh God. Forgive us, oh Lord. Let us see the depth of our sin as we experience the mourning and the repentance that, God, we might experience the blessing of your comfort, oh Lord. We bless you, Lord. We repent, oh God. Forgive us, oh Lord. Forgive us, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Friends, I want to invite you again to stand where you're at. We're going to sing. And if you need to do some business with God, maybe you want to just turn around, kneel at your seat. Maybe you want to come. But let's do some business with the Lord today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.